Lord God, live in us, we beg and pray. Make us more like you, change us, that this story of Advent would be our story, accepting your son, living in us, growing us until the day we meet him again face to face. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Hope breaks through this morning with a promise of presence. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I don't know if any of you can relate. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Also very, very busy. We love to host in our home. Last Sunday was no exception. We had, you know, 20 people coming at 6.30 in the evening. It was one of those afternoons last Sunday was where at 1 or 2 we were like, we got nothing but time. The music is on and we're cooking and high-fiving and laughing. And then as each hour rolls by, as each thing we're cooking, as the house is a disaster, we're literally like now sprinting room to room. 15 minutes left. I'm running back and forth, throwing stuff in the shoe room. I hope they don't go in that room. And then, you know, all of a sudden comes on the Christmas carol, which is playing a little bit too loud. And it's the, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And it's like, shut up. You know, it's like in this, you know, we want Advent to be Oh Holy Night. And many times it feels like Kevin in Home Alone, right? You're just like, ah, like this can feel like in this coming week, so many of us are in that frame of mind. Man, Christmas is in eight days. Okay, we got stuff to do. And how do we slow down and breathe and receive the magnitude of the story of Christ's birth in the specificity of our own hearts? Today we're going to be talking about hope breaking through with a promise of presence. I'm so excited to look at the way in which hope breaks through and that's meant to change our lives in a day-to-day fashion. I don't know if you saw this article a couple weeks back in the Seattle Times saying we're feeling as Seattleites optimistic but wary. New poll surveyed over 400 Seattleites. And what the article basically revealed that though there's all these markers for certain growth, many people in Seattle are dealing with uncertain futures. That in the survey, hundreds of people impacted, uh, that of all the people surveyed, they said that 70% say the growth that Seattle's experiencing is only benefiting a few. 70% say the region is unprepared to handle growth. 50% say growth has an overall negative impact on region. The, The significance was striking to me because all the markers of what's going on economically in our region are for health, and yet some are being left behind. And homelessness is increasing And in this time of certain growth, many people are dealing with uncertain futures. But Christ came that we would find certainty in his presence instead of constantly needling for the next plan of our lives. And as we look today at the story of Joseph, the Joseph story from Matthew is amazing because in this time of intense uncertainty, Joseph has these major questions And in the midst of his major questions, the Spirit of God breaks through. And Joseph gets a revelation and a promise of presence. These two words I want to write on your brains this morning of revelation and presence that's meant to impact our stories. As as we look at Joseph's story, it's got to impact our story. And so our big idea we align under today is simply this, that God doesn't cause the unplanned problems or challenges we face But God's presence can trump any plan we desire. In the midst of the problems, we are met with revelation and presence. That God is with us, that he's for us, and the promise of Emmanuel is meant to change our every single day reality. Let's look first at the unplanned problems. Every one of us in the room have unplanned problems we'll face. Uh, For Joseph, it's the pregnancy. In Matthew 1, verse 18 and 19, we get some of the 
context of how difficult this might be for Joseph to endure, this surprise pregnancy. Because it says in verse 18 and 19 of Matthew 1, Joseph, her husband, Mary's husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. There's this challenge in the subtext of the story that we need to unpack historically. Joseph and Mary weren't actually uh, in a typical marriage yet. They were in a betrothal where Joseph or his family would have paid a dowry to Mary's family for the right to be married. Oftentimes in Palestine this time, betrothals would take about a year. About a year of betrothal, of engagement, but it was a contract in that day and age because money had changed hands. There was this expectation in the betrothal of a performance of both uh, husband and wife, to be husband, to be wife, to, to do their part, to be prepared, to be married in a very public fashion. Now, it's no surprise that because of the Levitical law, Deuteronomy 22, that betrothed couples were were meant to be non-intimate. We understand that. Historically, if a woman were to break, woman or man, but most of the time the shame is heaped upon women, if a woman was to break the the covenant of purity and become pregnant in in the history of Israel, she would have been stoned to death. Probably by first century, most scholars say that that the The regulations would have been loosened and she would not have been stoned, but she would have been divorced. That's why Joseph is allowed to divorce her quietly. However, in the first century, to be divorced quietly as a young 13 or 14 year old woman, Mary, with child, would never be able to marry again. I mean, if you think about it from an American literary context, I mean, this would be the scarlet letter that she and this child would live the rest of her days in first century Israel without any means of provision. Without any means of support, she would be a pariah in society. And so Joseph has this, this problem to deal with. He has this, this, this question to answer. It's a little mysterious if you look at the scripture, verse 18 and 19, that she is found to be pregnant. We don't know how. Was she showing? We're not sure. Did the spirit kind of give him a nut? How did he know? We don't know. But he's found out before the spirit of God appears to him. And he makes a plan. He's going to send her away secretly. Because there's these questions in the narrative. And when we face questions with our life, we do what we do. We make plans. The reality of the question marks in our Christian journey are a given. We will all face questions. And, and we're tempted to think that maybe this season's of life questions are more difficult than the next season. For people that are single in the room, like, wow, people that aren't single, they don't understand. Like, there's certain questions about my future that no one else would understand. People with young kids, like, oh, man, the questions of, that I'm dealing with right now. Like, you know, we, at each level, in the retirement stage, well, you know, no one else understands the questions I'm facing right now with aging parents, retirement accounts, vocation, call. Every one of us has different experiences in the room. The questions and challenges we face are myriad. Romans 8 Paul addresses the fact that in humanity we will constantly have questions. Paul deals with this in Romans 8.31. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things, these, re- these questions that have, have showed up earlier in Romans 8? If God is for us, Paul writes, who can be against us? There will always be questions we'll face. There will always be problems in each and every season. And so when we flip back to Joseph, Joseph has every right to be confused. He has every right to be angry. And yet he attempts, the text says, to show honor and send her away quietly. He's an honorable man. And truly, honor is sticking with those you love in the midst of the worst times. You show honor more than just with what you say, but you show honor in your presence. We show honor in sticking around even when things get really rough. 
We show honor with our friends when they've not been good friends. We, many of us, get into some sort of contractual relationship with those we love. That if people will serve me, show up to me, well, you know, this is my right. But relationship is a covenantal nature. And you honor people in your presence even when they're at their worst. Joseph has this, this good man inside of him. David, Matthew 1 tells us, is, is in the lineage of King David. He literally has king's blood in him. And though he lives in the wrong part of Israel and people have forgotten that the king would come through the line of David and they can't really see Joseph as being that kingly, he doesn't forget. He's got king blood in him. And, and he looks at the problem he faces and he's trying to do the honorable thing. Verse 25 says, even once the angel comes, that they don't have intimate relationships until after the baby comes, after baby Jesus is born. And sure, that's true of Jewish culture, not to have intimate relationships with a pregnant woman, but publicly and privately, Joseph exercises self-control. Role models are built by publicly and privately what we do and what we don't do. And as a church, last week we talked about women and needing to, to honor what God's image is doing in the life of women and raise up a, a new generation where we say you won't stamp out the image of God in our women. Uh, today we get through the look of Joseph. We talk about the image of God in our men. That this church is intent to build up the image of God in the men in the room. Not at the exclusion of women, uh, along with women, but I talked about that last week. I hope you were here. You can podcast back. But men, I want to just take a brief moment because we're talking about the image of God in Joseph. I want to say to you that God's plans are waiting to be written in your life through the promise of presence. And this, this city would change if as men we would take the word of God serious and serve our wives and love our kids and speak Jesus to people we work with and to live out God's call that we are, we are the hope of the world. We have this men's event coming in January. I'd love you to register for. We're hoping for over 100 men. We're going to be studying Pastor Richard's book called O2 about spiritual disciplines. But we're going to be doing it in small groups. We're going to hear men from the church. Like how do we do this? In community. It's early and then you can go on to work. Sign up. Richard will be there the first week. We have different men from the congregation sharing. I hope you can join us. Because we are serious of saying we have a responsibility to raise godly men in this church. And to change what's going on in society, not by sitting back and scrolling through Facebook, but by getting in the word of God. By getting men in relationship one to another. Men, you need each other. You, right? You're like me. We get older and we just like care more about mowing our yard. We need each other. We need relationship and vulnerability and honesty and accountability. How's your walk with Jesus? This is what men are called to. To live out the image of God. Again, women, you're part of this too. We talked about that last week. But Joseph, it's amazing because he's actually kind of a small player in the grand story of Christ. In both Mark and John, Joseph doesn't show up at all. In Luke, we don't see him after the uh, Jesus in the temple scene. In Matthew, we have just these, these stories of Matthew 1 and 2. Most scholars think that, that Joseph probably died between Jesus when he was in, you know, that whole, like he went missing in the temple at 12 and Jesus' public ministry at 30. And we all want to have a huge impact in the room. Men, this is some of what makes our hearts sing. We want to make a difference in our relationships, in our vocation, okay? You don't get to pick your impact. You only get to pick your response, how are you responding to what God is putting in your life? Let God worry about your impact. You just, like, like Joseph, man, I got, I, I, if I'm a believer of Christ, I have the spirit of God in me. 
Jesus, live in me today, I pray. And make, my, uh, make me a person of authority by what I do and what I don't do. Joseph gets this revelation three times in, Joseph, in Matthew 1 and 2, where the Spirit of God shows up and he listens and he obeys. Church, men and women included in this, stop looking at your present problems for a sign of revelation and cling to the promise of Christ. Here's Joseph, his whole rule, his whole world is unraveling, but God reveals himself that through the Spirit, hey, this is going to happen, I want you to name the baby this, and he does it. Every one of us, like there will always be the next problem, there will always be the next thing, to, and we can kind of become obsessed with this, you know, hyper-focused on this season, but you know, once I get to the next season, then my discipleship increases, I'll read more of God's word, I'll be more faithful and generous, and my time and energy and time, no, no, Jesus says, you have today, so live it, and, and you will face problems. In the midst of the scriptures, God says, don't cling to the plans, cling to the promise of Christ. That sounds like something we've read before. It's called the Bible. Abraham and Moses and Joseph and Jacob and Jonah. And you get it over and over again. God does something surprising in their life, not to throw a problem at them, but to say, it's not your plans that I want you to cling to. It's the presence. Remember Genesis 50, Joseph if the Old Testament, some of the most true words in the Old Testament. He had been enslaved. He had been in jail. He had been abused. He had been turned away from his family. And then he has the audacity to say, not the problem he's clinging to, but the presence. Genesis 50, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. Cling to it. And stop obsessing about the next problem you face or the past that you can't control anymore. Live today and may the spirit of Christ live in you. I don't know what problem you face this morning. I do know there are problems in this room, very real ones. It's one of the great privileges of being a pastor in this community. I'm aware of many of the blessings and many of the problems. We don't get to control the problems. We just get to respond and say, Christ, may your spirit live in me today with what I face. And just because it's relevant, I'll share you a little bit about my week. So my week was Monday was the ninth birthday of my unborn son, Fisher Samuel's son. If you're visiting this morning, my wife and I lost a, a baby boy nine years ago. December 11th is his, is his day. And so in the evening, we have these sacred rituals, because we all need rituals to remember those that we've lost and loved, and we take balloons down to Madison Park, because it's a sacred place to our family, because it reminds my wife of that season, we write letters to our son Fisher, all the kids do it, Heather and I, and then we count to three, and we, we release the balloons to the earth, to the heavens, and uh, I recognize environmentally, not the best, but just kind of move on, all right, like Jesus <laughs> forgives us. All right, he loves us, we're, okay, and uh, we play on the playground, and we imagine if our son was there, Fisher, and we have dinner, it's a sacred evening, but it, the day was, it's a Monday, there's, there's meetings and work and whatever in school, and any parent will tell you those last 15 minutes before getting your kids out the door are just chaos, right, and so, like, I woke up, and my heart was just like, out of my chest, but you're still going through the routines. Some of you know what it's like to go through grief, where you're just, you're going through the routine, even though your heart is kind of outside of your chest, and the kids are in the car, and I ran back to get something, and there on the island, we had cleared the island, there's a picture of my son Fisher, and there's a candle, and he's all alone, and the, the, the loneliness and the, the just true hurt 
I can't adequately communicate from the stage, but I just need you to be with me in this moment where the rest of my kids are in the car and I come back to get something and then there's my son and I have this feeling of leaving him behind. And as the father, there's no greater grief that you can't protect those you love. And all I want to do, and I thought about this last Sunday too before the service, I just, I just want to play catch with him. I just want to get a ball and a bat and play catch with my nine-year-old son. I'm not even the world's biggest baseball guy. It's not about that. I just, I just want to spend a little bit of time. Jesus, could I just have a little bit of time with my son? I just want an hour. Could I just have an hour? I just want to play and laugh. And you know, There's no hours. Okay, Ruth talked about this a couple months ago in a sermon she gave. It was so powerful during the last series. But she said that every one of us will disappoint people, that there's no perfect present person in our life except for Christ. And so I go to work that day with my heart outside of my chest. What do we do? I have to cling to the fact that Jesus is with my son and that Jesus is taking care of my son. And someday I will be face to face with my son and my Lord. And to that day, I cannot wait. Friends, we don't control the problems we face. And we certainly don't control the plans. My personal theology has been forged by the fact that sometimes awful things happen and God is still good. Because he's still good. Will we choose to respond to him in each and every day? All of us have different problems we face. This was mine this week, but it becomes a choice. Jesus, can you be my hope today? Put it on. Jesus, can you be my truth today? Put it on. Jesus, could you be my patience today? Jesus, can you give me hope today? Each and every one of us. This is how the discipleship journey with Christ becomes real. When we choose to enter into not the problems, not the plans, but it's the presence of Christ. How does that happen? It happens in two ways in today's message. It happens first in Revelation. That in every crossroad of decision we face, that there's a presence of revelation. I would submit to you that each and every day there's a crossroad of decision. Because something going on in your marriage, something going on in your dating life, something going on vocationally or financially or spiritually. Every day, in my life at least, every day can feel like a crossroad. We have to believe that the revelation of Christ is real today. And, and Joseph, he, he faces this crossroads of decision and the spirit of God breaks through. Look at Matthew 1, verse 20 through 23. After Joseph had considered a new plan, the angel Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the spirit. She'll give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. I'll call him Emmanuel which means God with us, that this is the revelation, that God's greatest gift to us in the each and every day of any indecision we face, it is the presence of Christ, that though those words roll off my tongue and it sounds like Christianese, this is the Emmanuel message, that the revelation came for us, that God incarnate sent his son Jesus to, to live on this earth, to live the perfect life, to die an obscenely ridiculous death, and to, to come alive again and to teach us all that we are freed when we repent of our sins. That is the gospel message. And so the revelation isn't something that we knew back in Sunday school. It's got to be real today. It's got to be real today, that the revelation would be real today, that Jesus, your birth would mean something today, that your greatest gift, God, is presence in my life in each and every day, that we cling as a church to the revelation of the Son, the incarnate Word of God. This is where we have our life. 
This is got to be where we make our home. In the midst of every question we face, we cling to the revelation of Christ. Husbands and wife, in the midst of the conflict, you pray more, not less. It, people that are in the dating pool right now, we pray more, not less. People in retirement that are trying to you know, look into this next season of life with beauty and grace and humility, we pray more and not less that we would apprehend the revelation of God's Son for any question we face. And when you look at Romans 8, Paul litters Romans 8 here at the end with these questions because he's giving us a placeholder in the story because to be alive at all is to have questions and to deal with unplanned problems and say, God, I don't know what to do in this season. Paul says here in verse 32 through 35 of Romans 8, he who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him give us all things? Who will bring any charge against them whose God has chosen? It is God who's justified. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand interceding for us, advocating for us, speaking to God for us, carrying our sins for us, moving us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger? Or He's basically like, name any excuse, anything that you're clinging to as a problem or a plan, any of it, it, none of it can separate us from the love of Christ. This is the revelation, Paul says. And it's meant to change our each and every day. This was the, the whole point. This is why Isaiah 9, verse 2 on, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. But friends, if you're not each and every day clinging to the light for your own path, you're missing an opportunity. The revelation came as a light. So today, Lord Jesus, be my light. I need light. I need more hope. I need more certainty. I need, I don't know what you're facing. This is the revelation. This is the promise. And many of us in the room, I know for me, we make these deals with God where we want to know before we go. God, if you can just help, you know, if, like we're, we've got this problem we're facing right now and, and we pray about it and I, I just cling. I'm like, God, if you could just give me the answer to the problem, then I would know. It's not how it goes. Now, God calls us into the mystery with the revelation, not of the plan, but of the person of Christ. I want to I just lift up for a moment Genesis 12. I, I love the story of Abraham, perhaps one of my favorite Old Testament stories. Beginning of Genesis 12, go to the land I will show you. I say, isn't that like the life of faith? We're constantly being sent from the comfortable to the called. We're, we're being sent from places where we've been to new places because we'll need more of God out in the wilderness. But something hit me in new ways today. Genesis 12, verse 6 and 7. Once Abram is traveling, God gives him a deeper promise. Once he's on the road, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to them. This story is so beautiful. But I got curious so the promise of the land and the fulfillment of everything that Abram desired, Abram, of course, would later be changed to Abraham. How far is the great tree of Moreh from where Abram had set off? It's 400 miles. 400 miles Abram traveled with his donkeys and his animals and his tents. 
400 miles in an ancient context, 400 miles he traveled without knowing what God was calling him to. And only once he had arrived at the great tree of Moriah, 400 miles later, that's where God says, now look around and all of this will be yours. And I love that the Canaanites were in the land because there's an acknowledgement. There's always going to be challenges the Canaanites were the enemy. There's, like Even in the promised land, there's going to be challenges because there's always going to be challenges in life of faith. Friends, 400 miles, and then God says, build an altar. And I don't know how far you're at in your journey this morning. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're traveling through. But I want to encourage you that Abram traveled for 400 miles before God says, now look around and all of this land will be yours. Friends, if you're in mile .001 or mile 399, the revelation is still true for you today. That the presence of Christ is meant to live in you each and every day. And God is saying, build an altar. Don't forget. Build an altar to worship God. Because though you'll think that once you get to that next place is where the altars come, God's saying, build an altar today because if you believe in me, my spirit lives in you. And today I have a revelation for you. Build an altar, which is another way for saying, worship God now. Do not forget. Man, man, we get so stuck in the future or we get shamed in the past. And Jesus gives us today to build an altar with our lives that our life will be lived in worship. So often we think that once we have all the answers, then we can build an altar, and we just know that's just not true. Ask some of the most senior of our saints in the room, and they'll tell you that every stage has challenges, and every stage is an opportunity to give worship and praise to God. Uh, the great Christian theologian Thomas Aquinas was writing his magnum opus, the Summa Theological, in the years late 1200s. It was to be the greatest theological piece in the history of humanity. And Thomas Aquinas thought with his understanding, he could teach everyone else what God's revelation was all about. But that all changed on December 6, 1273, where Thomas Aquinas had a revelation of the power of the Spirit of God living in him, and he never picked up his pen again. And about the encounter with the living Christ, Aquinas wrote this. He says, all that I have written seems now to me like straw compared to what was revealed to me. See, we make a lot out of knowing stuff. But Jesus wants to make a lot out of us experiencing him today. The revelation is real. Will you receive it today? And then knowing stuff is great. It's more about receiving the truth today the revelation is real let's look at this final piece the presence of god in every situation through christ in every situation joseph understood the promise of the revelation given by the spirit and that gave him fortitude for every hard decision in matthew 2 he would take his wife and newborn baby to egypt into pharaoh's land the spirit of god would show up again and lead him out of egypt back into israel how would he have that strength he had god's presence inside of him he believed in the power of god because the Spirit of God revealed to him and that presence of Christ never departed him. Where do we get the fortitude to have these, these lives of great impact? It's the presence of God today. Paul says this in Romans 8, 36 to 39. He says, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered sheep to be slaughtered. He's actually alluding there, quoting Psalm 44, which is a psalm of lament in the midst of persecution. 
No, Paul says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that comes from one place, Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the courage for everything we face will come from the companionship. That we are more, we are more, more than the relationship with our parents or our children, our friends, more than frightened, more than alone, more than our debt load. We are more than conquerors. How? Because greater is he who lives in us than he who is in the world. And so how does this become real and live in our life? We have a choice to face, church, each and every day. Will we cling to that truth of 1 John 4, 4? You children are from God and you've overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. We have one in us that is greater than any plan we might make, than any problem we will face. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we have this presence to tap into that we will never be alone, that Christ lives in us and is advocating for us, is fighting with us or playing with us, that he's present to us. So on Monday morning, when I walk out of that house with my heart in my chest, I can only do one thing. It's not make a new plan and not to go back and scrub the past that wouldn't hurt anymore. It's just a beg and a plea. Jesus, take the hurt away today. Take the hurt away. And it takes a while. But the presence of Christ is meant to live in us and challenge us because we have one playing with us, for us. I don't know if you know the name Stacy King. Any basketball fans in the room? Stacy King played for Chicago Bulls. Stacy King played for the Chicago Bulls on the night that Michael Jordan broke his personal record with 69 points. On that night, Stacy King scored one point. And when reporters asked him after the game, kind of ribbing him a little bit. You know, you had one, Jordan had 69. How did it feel to be on the court when all that was going on? He said, you know, I'll just always remember this is the night that me and Jordan scored 70. <laughs> That's good, right? All right, we, we're not Michael Jordan, none of us. We worship the high king. We are the Stacy Kings. And yet the amazing thing is that God is with us, playing with us, advocating for us, living in us, so that in everything we face, we are more than conquerors. We have victory, not by our own strength, but by his strength. I want to give you three practical takeaways in this busy week to come that this, this promise of presence and the truth of revelation might live in you. I want to say this first. I want you this week to be present. Don't miss the miracle. Be open to where Christ is breaking through. C.S. Lewis in his screw tape letters, one demon was telling the other, our business is to get humans away from the eternal and away from the present. And with this in view, we sometimes tempt a human to be stuck totally in the past. So live present. Be present to where you're seeing moments of God today. And the second is a close second to that, and it's very similar, but I think many of you, like myself, need this reminder. Live today. You can only live today. The temptation is to be living in the future or shamed by the past. You only have today. Said one writer, the load of tomorrow added to that of yesterday, carry today, makes even the strongest falter. No, we have today to put on the power of Christ and live into the truth that revelation and presence is meant to change today. Eugene Peterson had this beautiful quote. He said that every step is an arrival. Every step is an arrival. 
And I love that because today is all I have in my journey with Christ. Christ, will you live in me today in my hope or my heartache, in my joy or in my struggle? Every step is a rival. Today, Jesus, I want to be full of your spirit. And third and finally, I want you to remember that everything is going to be okay. This phrase from the King James Bible shows up 436 times, and it came to pass, and it came to pass. Many of us, we kind of, with each struggle we face, it's kind of the chicken little syndrome where we feel like this is the worst thing, you know, and if we can just get through this and be okay, this too shall pass, and God will be with you and for you. How do we know? Because the scripture says that with Christ's birth, we have the Emmanuel. God is with us. God is for us. God will never leave us. In the world, we will have struggles and problems and plans that go awry. But in Christ, we have new hope. We have new spirit. We have new joy. What shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing will. Do you believe it this morning? Will you receive it this morning? Because if it's true, it changes the game for us. We have one on the court with us, helping us today be full of him. And so today, each and every day, we're going to be present. We're going to live the day that God has given and remember that God will see us through. And that this truth of Emmanuel, God with us, can change any problem we face. Not in some sort of Christianese cliche, but in this hope of, hey, I'm with you. I am for you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am fighting for you, and nothing will separate you from my love. Do you believe it, church? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for the way in which that you, you broke through, that you found a way, you found us. And though, Lord God, you, you came in such a surprising way that many, many people missed you. You've given us the truth of your scriptures to just soak in the story Lord, we align ourselves, and many of us, with this person of Joseph, the life has dealt us surprises that, you know, in our best effort, we come up with plans. Lord God, we pray for your spirit to crack through the situations this church is facing, and all the joys and all the heartaches, and all the places of hope and all the places of hurt. Lord God, would your truth live in us as your people? May May we take on the power of your presence and the the truth of your revelation, Lord, to be a guide today. Lord, we're on a journey, and some of us are are a long way from this tree of Moray where you're going to just promise the, the land around us. We see the enemies in the land. We feel uncertainty. Today, God, we we build an altar of our lives. We say we receive you and we love you, and we want to face today with your joy living inside of us, your presence changing our present. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us as we close and sing?